Okay, so Shri Brahma Sanghita Ki Jai O Magyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha Nama Shrishtam Manum Apishachiputra Matras Varupam Rupam Tasyagrajam Murupurim Maturin Goshtapatim Radha Kundam Girivaramaho Radhika Madhavasham Prapto Yasya Pratita Kripaya Shri Gurung Tang Natosmi Namo Mahapadanyaya Krishna Prima Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gaurutvishi Namaha E Krishna Karuna Sindho Dina Bandho Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavanishuri Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vanchakalpaturu Yascha Kripa Sindhubya Epacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Okay, so Brahma Sanghita. It's an interesting text. Um, and we'll be going today is my my intention is to give an overview of the text and we're drawing mostly from Sri Jiva Goswami's Tika, his commentary on the text. And um, my intent is afterwards uh, in subsequent uh, meetings is to just go through the commentary and however many that takes. So I don't really know how many parts this series will be in, probably mm, several at least. So, um, so let's get started as far as the text itself and a little bit of the history, which, um, well, I'll, I'll read here from Jiva Goswami's commentary to uh, explain what inspired me to uh, speak on this particular text. So Jiva Goswami says, though the Brahma Sanghita has a hundred chapters, this fifth chapter is complete in itself since it expresses compactly the essential meaning of all the scriptures. What persons of pure intelligence realize in the Srimad Bhagavatam and other works is presented in this work. What I have explained extensively in Krishna Sandarbha, I have reviewed and I've used some points to explain the Brahma Sanghita. Thus, my heart has become joyful. So, I first, of course, came in contact with this, with the Brahma Sanghita when I joined Guru Maharaj back in the Eugene days, so 25 years ago. And I recall Guru Maharaj saying, Yes, it's a very nice. Uh, very nice text because all of the Gaudiya Siddhanta is in it. And at one point, Shama Sundar and I would, in the evening before the deities would go to rest, we would sit down and we would chant the, the prayers beginning with Chintamani Prakara Sadmasu. Um, that was really quite sweet. And, uh, and it's a beautiful practice to, I try to do it regularly now. Um, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself says that um, that uh, the devotees should chant it daily, these prayers. Um, but while, and, and another reason I should say, while uh, a lot of, I would say probably most devotees are familiar with the Chintamani prayers as they are commonly referred to sometimes, uh, 
devotees may not be quite so familiar with the rest of the text before and after those prayers. And um, it's quite interesting because this book, even though there's only 62 verses in, in the chapter, there's a lot in there. <laughs> um, and you've got the entire, it, it, is the, it is the actual root of the Sampradaya itself because we're dealing with Brahma, who's the Adi Kavi, as we know from the Bhagavad. He's the original poet and his prayers are quite poetic. You know, and as if for those of you who have sung or have heard the, the, uh, those prayers of Brahma chanted, they're quite beautiful. The Sanskrit is very beautiful and that particular meter is uh, beautiful and, and, and profound, the import of those verses. So, um, in the beginning, Brahma says, he defines the object of what he's going to talk about. So, Ishvara Parama Krishna, Satyarananda Vigraha, Anadira Dirgovinda Sarva Karana Karanam. So, he's giving some idea of a general overview of the Vastu, the object that he's going to be, uh, that he's, that, that is, that that the text is dealing with, it's not Brahma speaking there. Um, presumably it would be Vyas or someone, but um, considering the history of the, the book is somewhat conveniently uh, leaning in the Gaudiya direction, one could say, well, you know, where does this book even come from? The, the tradition holds that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he was visiting on his tour in South India, he came across this book somewhere, or this chapter somewhere in a temple, had it copied and brought back with him, along with the, the uh, Krishna Karnamrita by Lila Shuka, Bilva Mangala Thakur. And Mahaprabhu said, these two books, this is everything you need. In the Brahma Sanghita, you've got the Tattva, and in the um, in Lila Shuka's book, you've got the, the Bhav. So between the two, it's everything you need. Of course, you've got to be able to draw out, draw everything out from those very concise uh, texts, uh, all the implications of them, which most of us aren't. So, therefore, we require the Brahma, the the uh, you know the, the Bhagavatam and the Chaitanya Charitamrita and the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and the Gita and all the rest. But for those who are highly adept, I guess you could say. If they had those two books, then they would be fine. Just like um, Gorakishore Das Babaji is purported to have said uh, when asked how one could attain Brajabhakti, he said, it's very cheap and easy. You just need some paisa. You go to the market, you buy a copy of Prem Bhakti Chandrika and Prartana by Narottam Thakur. That, those are all you need. Okay. So for those who are who have that audio card to be able to um, have such minimal instruction and then go into the practice based on that, then yeah, that would be true. In any case, so the overview of this text is, um, it's, it's a simple text and it's not, it's not a lot simple in terms of its um, <laughs> plot, if you will, or it's uh, the number of topics it deals with. So as I said, the first verse is like the intro, introduction and the defining the object, Krishna. And 
Jiva Goswami gives an extensive commentary on that verse, which we will get into um, today if time permits, and if not, the next time. And in the verses, in the second verse through the fifth verse, there's a description of the yantra. And so in Hinduism in general, you've got these three uh, tattvas, I guess you could say. You've got mantra, yantra, and tantra. So mantra, of course, we're all familiar with because hopefully we chant them every day. Uh, mantra is a sound formula for delivering the mind. And a yantra is a geometric, two-dimensional two, two geometric representation of the mantra. And a tantra just means a, like a method. So um, how to attain a goal. So with these three together, it can be very powerful. And so the yantra in question, of course, is the Gopal yantra. Um, he doesn't, it's not called that in the text. It's just, it's just a description of it. So it talks about uh, the yantra, the Gopal mantra corresponds with the Dham. So after the first verse where we hear this uh, tattva about Sri Krishna, about the object of, of one of the object to be attained in, in one's practice. Then it goes into a description of the Dham, where this person can be found. Because uh, he doesn't live, even though he's God and he is everywhere, he doesn't, uh, in his form of Gopal Krishna, he's not everywhere there's a specific place it, and at the end of the brahma sanghita we find out that place's name is sweta dweep white island as srila guru maharaj has said many times it's like this, his own private island and and in that description of the yantra there's the the hexagon is the the, the uh, center of the lotus and then there's the square area outside that which is the greater area of the dam and then in all of the eight directions, or 10 directions rather, there are spears pointed outward, which says that this place is well protected. And just because you want to get in there doesn't mean you get in. You get in when someone in there lets you in. Um, you can't, in other words, there's no gate crashing into the top. You don't get there unless you're invited. Luckily for us, we have been invited. Now we just have to qualify ourselves. So after this description of the yantra in verses two to five, then in verse six, he gives an actual uh, verse about the nature of the dham. He talks about the, the tattva of the dham itself. And then verses 7 through 18 he goes there's a uh, there's a, a description of the creation and the purushas involved in the creation and this is all to make the point that the person who brahma is worshiping and who gave him the mantra at the beginning of before before time even began before the material universe is even manifest that that person that boy in cowherd dress 
is the source of these purushas, is the source of this entire creation and the source of the power that Brahma uses to create the material world with the source. He's also the source of the elements that Brahma uses to create the world out of. And then, so then from there, and then we, in verse 23, Brahma it gives a bit more of the, uh, what we would call, now we would probably call diksha, even though it's, it's not, uh, rituals and whatnot have grown up around this, this, uh, this uh, vital impartation impartation anyway uh the, the 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 internal will of the guru giving the divya gyan in the form of the mantras to a disciple uh that that process is described and that's another reason why this book is um really important because it can if we study this uh section on how brahma gets the mantra and who he gets it from and all of that it's very instructive I and mean, you can see the, again the roots of our sampradaya are there and uh interesting side note about this the point of diksha or at least the the fact that brahma is the one he's the he's the the adhikavi and the head of our sampradaya uh the sampradaya originates in him we are the brahma madhva Gaudiya sampradaya in fact although that can be contested by some people but it's for those in the know, it's not, there's no contestation to be had. It's just, that's just the fact. And some people make the case. And in order to be a guru in Gaudi Sampradaya, the guru must be a nitya composed of the surup shakti descended from the spiritual world. Otherwise you're getting cheated. But Brahma himself was a sadhana siddha. <laughs> in fact, in the beginning of uh, the Brahma Sanghita, or we know from the Brahma Sanghita that he was a sakam bhakta, actually. He wasn't even a shuddha bhakta, as we would uh, characterize a very high devotee. He had the desire, some rajas in his, in his nature, he had it, which led to the desire to want to create the material world. And that's what Brahmas do. That's what the post of Brahma is about. So it's a deputed, uh, like all demigods, it's a deputed position to perform some kind of function on the as per per according to the will of Bhagavan. So he's not Bhagavan. He's very powerful, no doubt, but he's not Bhagavan. And so, in verse twenty-three. Brahma finds him, uh, he, he wakes up on the lotus or he comes to consciousness, whatever it is, on the lotus and he's in darkness. He doesn't know where he is. He can't see anything. And, he, and then there's a much more extensive description of this in the Bhagavads where he tries to find his source, is unsuccessful. And then but it's also described here in Brahma Sanghita that when he when he was unsuccessful, he went back to his seat on the lotus and then Divya Sadasati, a divine voice from the sky, says to him, Tapa gives him those two syllables. And basically he's told to sit and meditate to, to find a source. So 
the lesson there, of course, is if we want to know our maker, looking externally, looking outward with the external senses will not avail us. We will not be successful if we use that methodology. That is the wrong method to find ourself, what to speak of our maker. So then the consciousness must be, rather than evolving, it must be, it must involve <laughs> inward, it must be involution rather than evolution, it must be turned inward to, and then the seer, the seer uses its power of seeing to see itself. And that's more of a yogic kind of Patanjalian uh, sort of idea. But the power to do that, of course, comes ultimately from Krishna himself too. Although it's not explicitly stated in the text. So Brahma there, from, from, uh, from his uh, meditation, then he's also, he's given the, he, so he sits in meditation, there's a description of that. And this is, that's just one verse, verse 26. Brahma meditates, and the result of that meditation is that he's given the Gayatri. And it's interesting how it's described in the Brahma Sanghita here in uh, verse, verses 27 and 28, how um, he hears the flute song of Krishna. The song goes into his ear, down into his heart, comes out his mouth as the Gayatri. And not just any Gayatri, it's not the it's not the so-called Brahma Gayatri Om Bhur Bhuvahasva. It's not that one because the bija, <clears throat> excuse me, the the seed of the Gayatri is not Om. It's described in the text as clean. So that means Kam Gayatri and the the corresponding Gopal mantra, which leads us back to the Antra. So then after receiving this Gayatri and becoming enlightened about the nature of Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, then Brahma in verse 29 through 56, he poetically eulogizes Krishna, beginning with Chintamani Prakara Sadma Sukalpa Priksha and ending with Shriya Kanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpa Taravo. And those, those prayers are um where much of the tattva about the nature of bhagavan is to be found you know of course you've got the first verse as i said and then in all of those verses it's unpacking that first verse even further so uh, giving the uh the uh, ontological ontological position of the various gods in relation to govinda Govinda's Dyadi Purusha, he's the source of all these people. So it's um it's a very Gaudiya text for sure. And, and some people could say, well, you know, this is just a made-up text, or Mahaprabhu himself wrote it. Although if he had, I would think the devotees would have caught on and and said, This is a new revelation by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. What's the problem? It would have been great. Um, but whatever the whatever the text origins are, it's a little bit hard to um, 
it's you can't just dismiss it because the the it's all based on the shruti and jiva goswami of course knowing to whom he was preaching at the time uh goes to great lengths to demonstrate that krishna is uh swayam bhagavan and he of course this theme is repeated throughout the text you I know mean, in every one of those verses you know govindam adi purusham adi purusha is another way of saying swayam bhagavan so um, brahma's praying to that person who is the supreme source of all these gods and we find out the position of shiva and durga and doesn't mention brahma himself but that's implied and ganesh you know so all these uh, various deities that people in India and in Hinduism in general have worshipped for thousands of years for various reasons, we see there in a in like one or two verses we get to find out you know where who they are in relation to their source that they are not the creator they are the created or in the case of Shiva let's say they're a transformation of the creator for a specific purpose. And we've also get a description of the Purushas, um, how the world is manifest from the pores of Mahavishnu's body and things like that. So, and that's just, that's just the section of Brahma's prayers. And then afterwards, and I think this is also a section that a lot of devotees may not be familiar with, at all or only curse only in a cursory way if at all is there um in verse 57 so brahma finishes his prayers and then krishna speaks and he speaks to brahma and he says okay so prayers are nice and so if you want the power to create then you need to practice and there's uh five verses He's, Krishna speaks five verses to Brahma about how to go about realizing bhakti. So it's like a super condensed uh, bhakti rasamrita sindhu in a way. In other words, there's, there's a bit of, so even though the, the vast majority of the Brahma Sanghita is about sambanda, you know, what is the nature of the deity? What is the nature of the dham? What is the nature of all these phenomenal beings in relation to the deity there is some section on abhideya at the very end um, how to how to uh, realize and interestingly it's uh, there's a, a nice verse that we will discuss later at length um, or at some length about how to do one's worldly duty because it's brahma because he's uh, because he has prayed for the power to create, but he wants to create to please Krishna. He doesn't want to create just because he wants to create. In other words, he has um, he has merged his desire to create with God's will for the, the manifestation of the phenomenal universe. And so, the lesson there is that is how to do our our worldly dharma 
whatever that thing is by which we maintain ourselves and our family, if we have one, while being Krishna conscious, um, how to do, how to, how to perform our duty with detachment such that it doesn't entangle us further in the mesh of karma and instead serves as a platform from which to rise above all karma. So there's a lot, there's a lot, even though it's only 62 verses, there's a lot in here. <laughs> as, as we've heard, it's the entire, you know, it's a, uh, the essence of all the scriptures. And so any number, any one of these verses, we could, we could uh, have many, many meetings on just unpacking each one of these verses because so much is implied in them, which again is one of the, one of the beautiful aspects of such short little texts like these um and there's lots of them in in the Gaudiya Sampradaya you get the Manashiksha by Raghunath Das Goswami or um I can't think of any other right now but verse uh, Upadesha Amrita by Rupa Goswami you know these very short sets of prayers that basically start at the, like Upadesha Amrita for example starts at the beginning sense control because without that, you're not making any progress in spiritual life, basically, or very, very little, very slowly. So begins at the sense control, which you don't even really need to be a, a bhakta for. And there are sense controlled yogis and jnanis and whatnot. And so that's not even specific to Gaudiya Vaishnava. That's just spiritual life. The, the uh, lowest common denominator of spiritual life in general, one could say so and then of course all the way up to the supremacy of radha kund and and shri radha herself <laughs> in other words you going from the absolute the basement <laughs> all the way to the penthouse in 12 prayers so from brahma sanghita is similar in that way that it, there's the entirety of the tradition the entirety of what we're about is contained in there and it's just a matter of how much sambandhagyan we have that we could be able to draw all those implications out of the texts. And, and not just the gyan, the sambandhagyan we have, but also the, the feeling for the thing. Because we have some feeling, then we'll be able to look at the texts and understand what is being implied. So that's, a, that's the kind of the basic flow of the text so again we've got the the general description of of krishna and then we've got the description of the the yantra the the dham krishna's abode and then we've got the the nature of the dham we got some a bit on creation how the universe manifests and the purushas and then the sub-creator brahma and how how he's empowered to create and how he receives the diksha, the mantra, and then how he um, speaks with Krishna and Krishna blesses him to create, gives him the power to create. And then he also gives him a method for how to realize his relationship in rasa, in the leela with Krishna, which again, as Guru Maharaj has pointed out, Brahma is a sadhana siddha. So when he's speaking to Krishna prior, 
in the Brahma Sanghita prior to, or in the Bhagavatam, when he's speaking to Krishna prior to the manifestation of the universe, he's not realized in, in, um, in a rasa, in a, in a, especially in a rajarasa relationship. He's, he's realized Krishna to some extent, obviously, through his meditation, through his tapa, he's, he's uh, understood quite a lot about Krishna, the tattva about Krishna, which is good. That's the, in other words, he's got the son, the sambandha gyan in place. And then later, we find when Krishna Leela manifests in the material world, Brahma's bewildered. He doesn't recognize his guru, the person who gave him the mantra prior to the beginning of the universe. There, he gets reports of this, this boy doing all these extraordinary things down there in this place called Vrindavan, this little village, cowherd village. And he goes to check it out, and this boy is just, you know, sitting there with a lump of yogurt and rice in his, his left hand, in fact. And Brahma thinks, oh, who are these jungle people? They're uncouth, uncultivated. <laughs> and so he doesn't recognize his, the deity that he has presumably been meditating on and worshiping since the beginning of time. And as we know from the 14th chapter of the Bhagavatam, he does eventually figure it out when Krishna shows him infinite Narayans emanating from his body. <laughs> and Brahma says, okay, I've made quite, a, quite an error here by trying to, uh, by stealing, you know, stealing your cows and your cowherd boys, friends, that was a grave error. And he apologized and Krishna doesn't take it too seriously. Um, and Brahma, of course, later when Indra tries to destroy Vraj with the, the Samvartaka clouds of destruction and he fails and then he, he, uh, he and Surabi visit Brahma to try to get some advice. How do we, oh man, you know, he's like, this is what I've done. How do I fix this? And Brahma says, yeah, I offended him, but not like that. <laughs> so, and he gives him some good advice about you know, how to approach Krishna and get his forgiveness. And he ultimately does. But even then, and this shows you the, uh, the power of Bhagavan's Maya Shakti. Because as we know from the Bhagavatam, Muhyanti Yatsuraya, the suras, the gods, the deputed agents for various functions, in this case, uh, Indra, they often can't recognize their maker, even though they are sures, they're gods, they're in the, um, they're godly people. In other words, they're, they're God conscious to a large extent. But even then, mm, Krishna is so human-like that he can appear ordinary enough that even the gods can't recognize him. So Brahma, at, in the, at this point, in the Brahma Sanghita, uh, there's, and then again, we, we get different descriptions in, uh, of this, this moment in eternity. It's, it's, I guess you could say it's, it's before time, I guess you could say, or 
time is, uh, in other words, the, the material world hasn't manifested yet. It's just raw property that Brahma hasn't, hasn't even shaped it into the, the, the universe yet. So there are no things yet. It's just the, the gunas all in equilibrium. And this, but it is said that uh, Krishna was appeared before Brahma and Gopavesh. So even though later on in the text in the Brahma Sanghita we'll hear um, after Brahma's prayers, the the Sanskrit is atovaja mahavishnur. So afterwards, the verse says afterwards Mahavishnu spoke. And but it's understood that, that Mahavishnu is obviously not the Purusha, Mahavishnu lying on the coastal ocean. It's Adi, the Adi Purusha Govinda that Brahma has eulogized in those prayers prior. So there's a lot to unpack here. And so we can start with the first verse. My overview went faster than I thought it would, which is okay, because now we're just going to get into the actual uh, Jiva Goswami's commentary. And I'm, of course, I'm not going to go line by line because you can just acquire, acquire a copy of this and read it for yourself. But it's worth discussing uh, the salient points of his commentary. So text one is, as we know, Ishwara Parama Krishna Satyarananda Vigraha Anadir Adir Govinda Sarva Karana Karanam. So Krishna is the supreme controller. He is the enjoyer of innumerable consorts, which is an is interesting translation because you don't really find that directly in the verse here. And he's the possessor of an eternal form of knowledge and bliss. Though he is without origin, he is the source of all other forms of God and is the cause of all causes. He is Govinda, the boy who cares for the cows. So, um, Bhano Swami who did the translation of this particular book, this edition, rather. He's, in, uh, he's giving a little bit of uh, the implications in the, in the translation in a similar way to, to what Prabhupada would often do in his translations of uh, uh, giving kind of a mini purport or uh, putting things that were implied in the verse into the actual translation in the English, because Govinda means the boy who cares for the cows, but Brahma doesn't say that specifically, he just says Govinda. So Jiva Goswami, of course, starts in the most logical place when commenting on this verse, the word Krishna because the subject of that entire verse is, of course, Krishna, right? So, Ishvara Parama, Satchirana Vigraha, those are all descriptors. Those are all describing someone, and that someone is Krishna. And so, Jiva Goswami gives a, a quite a, a pretty lengthy discussion on the word Krishna, because, again, he was speaking to a philosophical milieu or, or he was trying to establish the supremacy of krishna amongst the smartas who 
more often than not would consider would have excuse me would have considered brahman as the supreme manifestation of the absolute and so of course as jiva goswami mentioned that uh, as he has done in krishna sandarva establishing the supremacy of krishna he's also doing the same here and he makes a I guess you'd say an obvious point that that this uh, Ishvara Parama Krishna means the same thing as the Bhagavatam verse says, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. So it's the same. It's just different language. And of course, he gives uh, many nice references from either the Bhagavatam itself or from the Upanishads and other shrutis to support his case, which is standard Tika format. And so he uh, makes it right out of the gate. He's quote, he quotes from the Bhagavatam and to show that this, this Krishna is Vasudev's son. And he also quotes from uh, when Gargamuni is describing to Nanda Maharaj about the different colors that his son has had in the various yugas. So this is establishing this is Vraj Krishna. This isn't this isn't Vasudev Krishna outside of Vraj. This is Vraj Krishna that's being is the topic of this Sanghita. And this is an important point, of course, because um, it gives meaning to Govinda. Uh, who else other than Vraj Krishna should rightly be called Govinda? I mean, yes, Govinda is a name of Vishnu, but we don't find Vishnu herding cows. So in that sense, the full meaning of the word Govinda would not apply to Vishnu. It would only apply to Krishna. Because although Gavindati, giving pleasure, Vindati, to the senses, is one meaning of Govinda, but that's only one meaning. The other meaning, of course, is giving pleasure, or protecting the cows. So only Vraj Krishna does both of those things, whereas Vishnu does, he can give pleasure to the senses, sure. And Jeeva Goswami says, the Brahma Sanghita begins with Ishwara Parama Krishna to indicate at the very beginning of the work that Krishna is the principal form of God. And he gives a nice example. This is similar to filling a pot with milk in the beginning, thus putting the pot to the best use first. And so in Nyaya, in, in logic, there are different types of logic. Like we've, we've all heard of half-hen logic, Arda Kukuti Nyaya, where... Uh, uh, there's, anyway, there's different types of logic. You know, you've got the half-hen logic, we've got this logic, the logic of pounding the post. That's, uh, in other words, repeating a point again and again in order to get it to sink into people's minds. So here he cites, Payasa kumbham puratiti nyaya. So apparently, there's a type of logic that says, if you have a pot, the best use of that pot is to put milk in it because milk is 
life <laughs> for cowherds. And so it's their, their entire livelihood. So uh, putting milk in a pot, you know, let's say you've got a brand new clay pot that's been made, putting milk in it first is putting the pot to the best possible use right from the very beginning. And so it's a very interesting uh, kind of uh, cultural element, one could say, that Jiva Goswami has brought in there. <laughs> and it also, um, it points to the fact that this is being, uh, this, this whole thing is coming out of a culture of cow protection, cow worship, where cows are a source of source of wealth. I mean, you know, if you have cows and you have milk, you you're pretty well set, pretty well situated. Grow some vegetables along with it, and you're good. You know, you can then you can worship your deity, you can live a pretty healthy life, and whatnot. And it also just again, it's uh it's a nod to the person that is being spoken about who is a cow herder. So he goes through a pretty um, pretty lengthy description of uh, etymolo etymological meaning of the word Krishna. Um, and he makes a very uh, interesting point that um, unless you're a Sanskritist, you wouldn't know. Um, like we've all heard that the, knee, the meaning of the word Krish means to attract. But Sri Jiva makes an interesting point that the word Krish does not actually mean that. He says, when we say Karshati, which is derived from Krish, it means he controls all in reference to Krishna. So, Krishna Jiva Goswami makes the point that Krishna's attraction is based on the fact that he is the supreme controller. Now, of course, I think the case can be made that he's attractive also by dint of the fact that he possesses qualities that are make him attractive. But again, that is a function of him being the supreme controller. In other words, there's only one being in existence who has all these qualities to such a degree that he is all attractive so he's all he's he's basically he's, he's uh describing the nature of bhagavan by breaking down the word krish and na Um, yes, so yeah, here he makes the point. If one takes the word krish to mean simply attraction and combines that meaning with the word na, meaning simply bliss, a relation of cause and effect between the object being described and the two modifying words cannot be established 
since Krishna and attraction and bliss simply equal each other. Krishna, the greatest object, is attraction and bliss. This is similar to saying ghee is life. What we really mean by that statement is that ghee causes long life. Similarly, when we say Krishna is attraction, we mean that Krishna, having power over all things, causes attraction or is attractive to all things. So that was a distinction that I hadn't, hadn't heard before. You know, we've all, from day one, we hear the, uh, the, the translation <clears throat> of the word Krishna and what it means. And of course, Jiva Goswami, true to his style, is, uh, gives us more to think about, and more, more nuances and uh, more subtle ways of understanding things that we may have thought we understood. <laughs> and moreover, he establishes, Jiva Goswami goes on to establish that Krishna is attractive by dint of his being the, the controller, has power over all things, but also that he is Brahman. He's the supreme Brahman. And he goes on to define what Brahman means uh, from the Vishnu Purana. Brahman is known as the supreme entity because it is the greatest, Brihatva, and because it is the nourisher of all things, Brihanatva. So he's the nourisher. And that calls to mind that the verse in the Bhagavatam, which says to pour the water on the root of the tree rather than on the leaves. And thereby, if we do that, in other words, if we send our energy to the center, the center will receive that energy and then distribute that energy back to the circumference. And we are thereby nourished. So Krishna's, he is existence and bliss, but he's also nourishing everything through his multifarious shaktis. So having established that, then Krishna, uh, excuse me, Sudhiva goes on to go further into the idea that Krishna is Parabrahman. So he establishes what Brahman is, and then he says, now Krishna is Parabrahman. So he makes a distinction, and he does quote from the Gita, that uh, chapter 14, Brahmano hi pratishtaham, that Brahman is subsumed within Krishna. Krishna is the source of the Brahman. So for those who want to make the case that Brahman is supreme, he's saying, no, no, it's not quite so simple because, um, and he doesn't actually make this point, but it's pretty obvious that if you, if you want to say there's Brahman and then there's Pada Brahman, well, what is the meaning of Pada Brahman if they're the same as Brahman? There's no meaning to the term. There's no point in saying that. So the fact that that term even exists suggests that there is something greater than Brahman itself. And he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 
to make this point. Very nice verse. Yu yung nirloke bata buhuri bhaga lokam punanam munayobhiyanti yesham granan abashatiti sakshat gudham param brahma manusya lingam. My dear Yudhishthir, Maharaj, all of you, the Pandavas, are extremely fortunate for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, lives in your palace just like a human being. Great saintly persons know this very well, and therefore they constantly visit his house. Visit this house. So, speaking, of course, great saintly persons like Vidura and Narada. And then he quotes again from the Bhagavatam, Aho Bhagyam, Aho Bhagyam Nanda Gopa Rajokasam, Yan Mitra Paramanandam, Purana Brahma Sanatanam. Beautiful verse, one of Guru Maharaj's favorite verses, as we know. And it's uh, worth meditating on because this Purana Brahma, this Supreme Brahman, who is Sanatan, who is eternal, is the Mitra the friend of Nanda Gopa, Vrajokasam. And so Nanda and all the Gopa people of Raj, he's their friend and therefore they are Bhagyam. But of course the verse repeats it twice. Aho Bhagyam, Aho Bhagyam. How fortunate, how fortunate. So these supremely fortunate people are fortunate because the Supreme Brahman is, has become their friend. Beautiful, beautiful verse and is a meditation in itself. Any quotes from various uh Panishads and then and then he gets into the word Ishwara. So he he uh as in all commentaries, of course, he's going to take the verse and he's going to, at least in a in a very important verse like this. He's going to break it down word by word, as we see. And of course, he didn't start just with how the words appear in the verse, Ishwara Parama Krishna. He started with the subject of the verse, of course, Krishna. Now we have some idea of what Krishna means. He's going to go into all the descriptors of Krishna. So the word Ishwara. So Ishwara. Of course, means controller and we find in uh Patanjali sutras that the only the only uh, descriptor of god given there is ishvara and so ishvara is a general term could apply to many different people or many different beings you could apply like brahma is an ishvara shiva is an ishvara controller all the vishnus of course but he's not just Ishvara, he's Ishvara Parama, the Supreme Ishvara. And Jiva Goswami mentions that the uh, Parama means the Lord who possesses the most excellent Pada Shaktis in the form of Lakshmi's Ma. So Brahman doesn't have any Shakti. So this can't be talking about the Nirvishesh Brahman because we find that that Brahman, we're 
this verse is talking about that Brahman, which is surrounded by Lakshmi's. And we hear this later in the first of Brahma's prayers. Chintamani prakara sadmasu kalpa praksha lakshavratishu surabhiravipalayantam lakshmi sahasra shat sambrahma sevyamanam. So he's served sevyamanam by millions of lakshmis, the gopis, right? Because in Vaikuntha, again, it can't be, it couldn't be Vishnu either, because in Vaikuntha, there's only one Lakshmi. There's Narayana and Lakshmi sitting on their throne in each one of the Vaikuntha planets. And then the devotees, the Dasya Bhaktas who live on those planets with them, see them from time to time, but there's only one Lakshmi. And then in Vraj, that same Narayan, Narayan plus in Gopavesh is surrounded by infinite Lakshmi. Each Gopi is a Lakshmi. So how powerful is that place? How powerful is that person who could be surrounded by such, uh, such a opulence of Shaktis, even though they look uh, very humble um, village people, cowherders, you know, they're vicious. They're not even Brahmins. Very special vices. Uh, back to the, the word Ishvara. This is a, a nice verse. Uh, he quotes from the Gotamiya Tantra. Atava karshayet sarvam jagat sthavara jangamam kalarupena bhagavan tena yang krishna ujyate. The Lord is called Krishna because he overpowers karshayet, all moving and non moving entities in the universe in his form of time. So that's interesting because time only applies to the material world. And yet Krishna, you know, he's, this, uh, this says he's called Krishna because he overpowers all moving and non-moving living entities in the form of time. But outside of time, he's still called Krishna. So he's obviously Krishna for more than just that reason. And then he goes on, he's still describing the word Padma, and he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 10th canto, when uh, in the chapter and from the 32nd chapter. Uh, so the 10.32.10. Tabhir vidhuta shoka bhir bhagavan achuto vrittaha pyaro chatadikam tata purushaha shakti bhir yata encircled by the gopis who were now relieved of all distress Lord Achita the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Godhead shone forth splendidly. My dear King, Krishna thus appeared like the super soul encircled by his spiritual potencies. So it's another way of saying there's Parabrahman uh, surrounded by his Shaktis. And he quotes from Gopal Tapani Panishad, Krishna vai paramang daivatam Krishna is the Lord endowed with many energies in the form of gopis. 
And of course, that's not literally what the verse says. The verse says Krishna is the Parama Daivatam. In other words, Daivatam means a deva, Paramam Daivatam, this ultimate deity, ultimate deva. And then he goes on to the word Adi, which carrying on logically from Parama, he says, since Krishna alone is Parama, endowed with such energies, he is called Adi. Makes sense. Bhagavatam uses the word Adyaha to describe Krishna. He quotes from the 72nd chapter. Not only is he Adi, he's the original, he's also Un-Adi. And Sujiva says, one should not think that being first or Adi means that Krishna is simply a form that appears in the material world. So he's making the distinction that he's the first, but it's not he's not the first just because he shows up first in the world. In other words, he exists before the world. And he quotes from Gopotap and Upanishad again, Nityo Nityanam Chaitanash Chaitananam. He is the chief eternal being and the chief conscious being. And he's also, next word, Sarva Karana Karanam. Of course, it means cause of all causes. And again, Jiva Goswami is like, He's building on the logic of the word previous. So because of his status as first, he is called Sarva Karana Karanam, cause of all causes. Makes sense. If you have a being that is the first of everyone, then everything that proceeds afterwards has to come from him. It has to be the cause of all causes. And to make that, uh, in explaining this, this, these words, he quotes Brahma in his prayers from the 14th chapter of the Bhagavatam. Narayanas tvam nahi sarvadehinam atmasi adi shakila loka sakshi narayanongam narabhu jalayanat tachapi satyam natabayevamaya. Are you not the original Narayan, O Supreme Controller? since you are the soul of every embodied being and the eternal witness of all created realms. Indeed, Lord Narayan is your expansion and he is called Narayan because he is the generating source of the primeval water of the universe. He is real, not a product of your illusory Maya. So, it's a pretty strong reference because of Brahma, Brahma is saying it, you know, there's some, some truth to it because he's had direct realization of this person's nature. What's the Gita? Vishtabhyaham idankritsnam ekangshena stito jagat. By one of my expansions, the Purusha, I am firmly established in the universe. And the next word, of course, is Vigraha, but we are out of time. Excuse me. And so the first 
oh, commentary on the first verse goes on for some pages, which we will continue on with in our next meeting. So if anybody has any comments or questions, I will be happy to do my best to entertain them at this time. Okay, I, I look forward to further classes too. I mean, this is an amazing book. So you're welcome. And I look forward to seeing you here again. And if no, if no one has anything else, we will call it a day. Matamongo, you are welcome. All right, dear devotees, then. Panchakalpaturubhyas chakrapa sindubhya eva chapatitanam pavanibhyo vaishnabibhyo namo namaha. Until next time, hope you are all are well and I hope your practice is blissful and steady. Haribol. <laughs>